0: which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com.
1: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
0: Nice dress. Uh, It's a, it's a t-shirt
2: Welcome
0: to The Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect
2: is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance, of life. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal.
1: We are all on the same team. Know you role and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals.
2: We've gone over time and time again.
1: Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt for money.
2: Great moments are born from great opportunity.
0: My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us be better leaders. Our great coach on this episode is Eddie Reese. Eddie is an American swimming coach. As an athlete, he was the first Florida University swimmer to win five SEC individual titles in a single season. He transitioned into coaching in 1965 and became head coach for the first time in 1972. In 1978, he became head coach of the University of Texas and has gone on to win 15 NCAA championships and 41 consecutive conference titles. He was also the head coach of the USA Swimming Team at the 1992, 2004 and 2008 Olympics and has coached a total of 29 Olympians who have collected 39 gold, 16 silver and 8 bronze medals. He is considered the greatest swimming coach in the history of the sport and at 81 years of age is still actively coaching. Eddie speaks with such deep wisdom and humility. It was a privilege to spend an hour or so with him and I left feeling inspired and energised by his great sense of optimism. Some of the key highlights for me were how he defines his goal as helping swimmers go faster than they believe and that in pursuit of this goal, he is only 10% of the equation. How he uses what he refers to as clap meetings to build a positive and supportive environment around the team his views on motivation and how responsibility lies with the individual. This was a great conversation with a true giant in the swimming world, and I hope you enjoyed as much as we did. Here at The Great Coaches Podcast, we're working to create one of the world's best leadership libraries from the lessons our interview guests share with us. You can help support our project, get exclusive content and early access to The Great Coaches Collection by joining our Patreon community. Or the details on how you could be a part of this journey are in the show notes. And now, please enjoy our interview with Eddie Reese.
2: You're listening to the Great Coaches Podcast.
0: Good afternoon, Eddie Reese, and welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. Thanks. It's uh, neat to be included in the group. Well, I think by the end of this interview, you might very well be at the top of the group. But I. I want to take it slowly before we get to the long list of medal winners that you've been associated with but Eddie something simple to get us going where are you in the world and what
2: have you been doing so far today i'm not sure if it's a blessing or a curse but i have this drive to find a way to get better at whatever i do whether it's coaching swimming hunting or personal fitness or relationships. I don't like these words, never satisfied, but I wake up at three o'clock trying to figure out how to get all those things better. Well, let me ask you,
0: if I can, about some of the greats that you've experienced because I know that you know or have worked with Buddy Crone, Bill Harlan, Jack Borrell and Rick Barnes. And those are just four of the many, many big names that you've been associated with. But Eddie, what is it you think the great coaches do, apart from getting up at 3 a.m. to think about how to get better? What do the great coaches do differently that
2: sets them apart? I think there's some basic things to really be at the top of a sport that is really the leader in physiological training. I mean, we're. The Olympics were the most popular sport. Other countries take it very seriously, and we do too. So, to be good at this, you've got to care more about the athletes and yourself. Whatever goals you have should be for them not to move you to a higher station or a higher position. You got to know basic things physiologically. In other words, things that if you do X, then what are you going to get? Because there's not much of that in our sport. And I do believe the first thing I said, the athlete in front of all their respects from academics. And nowadays, uh, mental health is so important. and. Especially in our country, and it's kind of sad that we've gotten to this, but take care of the athletes, know the physiological basis of training. And then we all know have we all know technique. We can get it anywhere. We can Google strokes anywhere. So it's available and a lot of people don't use it. We had a real good swimmer come here to train here for the Olympics. First week he was here, he said, I've been at this other place for five years. In one week, I've had more stroke work than total in the five years. And I believe that's commonplace, not just in our country, but in other countries. But if you watch what happens, there are certain strokes that get to the finals. If you've got like in backstroke, if you put your hand in on the back of the hand and you can be ranked nationally doing that as an age grouper, nobody any good does that. None of the top 16 trials or the Olympics does that. So that stroke eliminates people. Don't let it happen. Eddie,
0: Hume is very important to you. It's in all the articles over the years. You mention your humor and your your jokes and your dry sense of humor, which I experienced before we hit record. Why is it so important to you as a leader?
2: I would like to give you a good reason. That's just the way I am. But I also know that swimmers have a great sense of humor and training can be and will be boring. So to get them to smile during training is a very important aspect of it. Probably the part I left out, being a good coach, got to do some fun. You got to have fun. The human animal needs to laugh. There are anecdotal stories out there about guys that have been sick. They thought they were going to die. They moved out of the hospital, got comedian-based films and gotten well through laughter. So we know it's a good thing and we've got to have it. My, if When they quit laughing at my jokes, I'm a goner. And right now I'm funnier than I've ever been. That could be a distorted view.
0: Well, we might have to speak to some of your... The long list of the many medalists you've had and ask them about that. Maybe a quick joke
2: before an Olympic final is the secret to high performance. We have a lot of times our team meetings are before we get to the pool. So the worst thing you can do is try to pump them up an hour and a half before they swim. So we do keep it light and go into some of the funny things that have happened.
0: Tell me, Eddie, when you talk to new coaches, who are taking over new teams. and Those teams might have been successful. They might not have been.
2: What do you tell them to do first? I try to give them all advice. So whatever you try to do, you cannot do it in one year. Get to know the kids, enjoy the kids. We have a saying over here that has to do with knowing how much you care before they care how much you know. And I think somebody didn't just make that saying up, they saw it happening and described it. And I really believe that. That's the first thing you do. Part of care is technique. Technique can be positive reinforcement. I've got some guys that don't change anything for a year or two. So you've got to find a different way of saying that whatever you want them to fix. But the way I describe technique is most athletes reach 90% of the good ones of their potential. That's just a number. So we're at reference. And if you don't have good technique, you reach 90%. 9%. So that puts you down around 81. And I'm going to beat you with people that are not as good cuz I'm going to work on technique.
0: Eddie, the key motto for your team, which I love, is take care of yourself, take care of each other, and that takes care of everything else. So so powerful in its simplicity. And yet it also connects, you know, with self-care, selflessness, winning. Where did you develop this this motto? Where did it come
2: from? I'm sure I read it somewhere but We talked about it. They liked it. And we have a culture here that can be really, really good or just really good. And anything that's a high level, it doesn't take much to knock it down. And the athletes are the biggest part of this. In practice, we talk about all I want them to do is say good things to each other. Someone's swimming well, going fast, tell them great job. Somebody's not swimming well, that's me. Because if a peer say, at this age says something good to a teammate, it can be more powerful than I, I am. And But if they say something negative, they'll get blown off or cussed out. So I don't want them to do that. I never want that to go on between them, even though it does. On Fridays, they go in the locker room, no coaches, sit down, go around the room, and they say something good they've done in school this week, academically, some good things they've done in the water, and it's called their clap meeting, and then the senior's Decide where, get this now, all of them go eat together on a Friday night. I wish I could say I started that, came from another swimmer. And that was 25 years ago. They keep it going. During COVID, we had to have, due to numbers, we had to have like a group in one to three, and then three to five, the group that was in one to three. Whatever they were doing at five, they would come back for that meeting. So you can't put a value on the importance of that kind of stuff and the affirmation and practice. That is so good.
0: Eddie, I've got this great quote from one of your old swimmers. It's the gold medalist, Sean Jordan. He says, Eddie expands the set of possibilities of what you can close your eyes and see happening. So it caught my eye when I was reading, and I wanted to ask you, how do you work with
2: visualizations to help people? We kind of do that in a casual way. We don't sit down and do it. I'm an eternal optimist. So I'm always saying good things and trying to get them to realize, like, Right now, we're working pretty hard. I've got a team that's way ahead of anything we've had in recent memory, physically and culturally. They're doing a phenomenal job taking care of each other and doing the right things in practice. And we have a meeting at the beginning of the semester. Talk about goals. They tell me their goals, and I give them an idea of what they're going to have to do to make that goal. Because their goals, they're optimistic too. And I've seen too many people, what I call swimmers on a mission, like when Brendan Hansen came to Texas. He'd gotten third in two events at the Olympic trial. Third stays home. He came to school He was a man on a mission. He never lost a breaststroke race. He was never beaten in practice. So all those things, you may not never lose a race, but you can always be working hard. And that's the name of the game. We're a blue collar sport. You want to beat somebody, outwork them. And granted, there are some people, even if you outwork them, you're not going to be, but you've got to look at it, that mindset. And the thing that helps us in that is we get people to come in and improve a lot. It's the name of my game. I've never wanted to be an Olympic coach, never wanted to worry about winning an NCAA. My only goal is to have my swimmers go faster Than they can believe. I don't do that all the time, but I try to do it. And the whole key is they need to help me because I'm only 10% of their equation. They are 90% of the equation. Self-image is important. Goals are important, not just to have the goals, but to work for the goals. And that's how I approach him on a season plan. I have a very good swimmer, six practices a week for his whole career. Actually, we've got a lot more of that coming out of high school now than we've ever had. And those guys, I'm telling them, you know, you're going to have to go to more workouts. Your practices are going to be harder than you've ever done.
0: Eddie, you say that a leader should bear the pain and never give the pain. And I wanted to ask you, is the ability to bear
2: pain something that can be taught? My wife and I were at a non-denominational church retreat. We knew the guy that ran it. There was no one else there. It's, it's in a place that's right next to heaven. It's so pretty and you get up early in the morning and watch 200 turkeys fly across the, the creek and run into deer all the time. Just phenomenal place. And they always leave the library open for us. And I was, we were in the library and I was telling my wife that I've had about as much pain as I want to have because I watch, I watch the pool all the time. You give them a set and they grimace and make a no motion. That's a negative. So I'm getting 100 to 200 negatives a day. All coaches do. The ones with a real gift doesn't bother them. It bothers me. And my wife reached up and pulled down a little book, maybe 100 pages. Name of it is Leadership is an Art. I can't even remember the author now. But I just read the protective cover, and it said that, said the leader should always bear the pain and never give it. And honestly, that made me well, because as bad as that was making me feel, that book convinced me that that's what I'm supposed to do. And it's been easy ever since. Can it be taught, you think? Can you teach people to bear the pain? I think most anything can be taught, but the tough part of that is usually the thing that teaches you are real bad experiences, and then you try to fix it. So the teacher may be experienced, but, you know, like when a swimmer has a bad race, they know it. You don't need to jump them. You know, their parents going to get on them. That's not good. And you don't need to get on them. Because when my swimmers have a bad race, it's usually me. Because I've been working them and uh, not resting them or whatever. So that's usually on the coach. I know if somebody swim badly, we get embarrassed. But that has, that's
0: on me. Eddie, I've got this, another quote from you that I loved. You say, everyone knows how to work people hard. The key is to work them hard and protect the mind. And as you said earlier in the introduction, there's such a focus these days on mental health. How can coaches be better at protecting the minds of the people they're
2: working with? Wayne Goldsmith is one of the guys that I listen to in the world. He is a genius. When it comes to people, first time I met him, told me two things. One was, you're running a good program, Friday and Saturday, they're tired. You don't need to keep beating the stew out of them. And he's right. And I've done that. But the other one I was good at, but he made me better. He said, you must stay engaged. That means you got to talk to them. Like when I was at Auburn and had 22 people, I'd say three good things to everybody every day. It was easy to keep track. Now with 35 people, I can't keep track, but I work at at least two and notice them, talk to them, say good things about them or help them correct a stroke. I think a stroke critique. Has a bad connotation because I really believe you're being helpful. Do it the right tone, and it's a positive. It's really important. Everybody comes by, shakes hand, and thanks me. I don't believe they mean it because I've just really worked them hard. But whatever, I love it.
0: Eddie, I've got this other quote from you, which I think is an interesting one for non-swimmers because. You know, you say you can't rest too much, but you can rest too long. Now, I I wanted to ask you how could a non swimmer, I'm a corporate guy, how could a non swimmer apply this idea of recovery
2: to improve their, their daily performance? Oh, wow. So many people depend on taper, but taper, the effect that a taper has is all relative to how you prepare. When I talk about a taper, or rest, which is pretty much the same thing. I start talking about September the 1st, because if somebody gets sick along along the way, then their taper and they miss 10 days, 7 to 12 days, then their taper may be different. So I think this is way... You've got to plan your season. It's like if you're running every day or cycling every day, you've got to get to a point where, well, the American way is bigger, better, higher, faster, strong. If we run three miles a day this week, we're running three and a half next week. And in about eight weeks, we're running eight. And in about 12 weeks, we quit running. Takes too much time. We're too tired, and we just give it all up. Somewhere you've got to realize that swimming 2,000 or 3,000 is all right. Every once in a while, my team, because they are a bunch of hard workers, will get real tired. And instead of getting in at the beginning of practice on time, we'll, we'll talk for 45 minutes. And then we'll go 3,000. And then I'll get them out for the last 30 minutes. And we'll have different people work on different things. Like we'll work on freestyle turns, backstroke turns, back to breast turns, then what we call two and turns, which is fly to fly, fly to back, breast to breast, breast to free. And that's. You don't just want to grind unless you're training for the Ironman. I started a guy running. He wanted to run a mile. And a year and a half, he was running. He had a great affinity for running. He had a gift that he didn't unwrap until later in his life. But he was running 13 to 20 miles to small towns. And I said, you've got to get to where three miles is good and acceptable. Half a year later, he quits. Doesn't run at all because going more, more is the best and the worst word in our language because it'll take you to the top and it'll take you back down to the bottom. Eddie, if
0: more is the best and the worst word, you've had such a long career. Somehow you've managed to have more. and re-energize yourself, get up every day, keep going, roll up. As you reflect on how you did that, what advice do you have
2: for the rest of us? This has never been a job. It's been a lifestyle, been tough on me because I'll read a couple of times a week till one or two in the morning. Then I get up at 4.30, walk the dogs and I'm at practice by six. And you know, I've said recently, if I could just run a practice and not go to meets, I could coach till I'm a hundred. I love practice. I love their efforts. I love to see them working harder, training to get better, and getting better. When I go to a club's or another team's practice, if they're being coached, there are two things that are Everybody's streamlining and everybody's fly kicking off the wall. But there's no magic. I just, even when I tried to retire and my AD talked me into coming coming back, it didn't bother me at all. I just went on like nothing happened. I told him I was going to retire in March and I announced in March It could be me getting weak. (laughs) I don't know about that,
0: just quietly. Hey,
2: there's no magic wand out here for doing a good job or leading a good life. It's a real simple equation. It's like you've got my favorite quote that very simply, we're just here to help. What else can we offer? I mean, we can accumulate A lot of things, a lot of material things. There's a quote in one of the many books that I've read that they talk about when you die, you can't take it with you. But the quote is, when you die, you can't take it with you. But then these guys say, the only thing you can take with you when you die is that which you've given others. And nobody likes to talk about dying, even though... No one gets out of this life alive. So it's going to happen. How do you want it to be? So I don't have all the answers. I learn as I go. I love to learn. I know I need to learn.
0: Eddie, one of your special skills I read about is observing, especially on the pool deck. I've heard other people actually talk about how you just are so focused and you observe and you watch and you listen and you're very rarely distracted. Could you tell us about that?
2: I never realized that until we had a Japanese contingent come in for a long course meet we had in the middle of January. And they talked to me every day during my practice, after the practice. And one of them one day said, I've noticed you always look at the pool. And I've never thought about that. But I do. I just like to see what they're doing, whether they're learning anything or doing something better. Or if somebody starts a little late, does a flip turn in the middle of the pool and comes back, I want to comment on that. I just want to comment on most of the stuff. I think it's not anything I learned. I just I like it and I do it. But I'm focused on, one, I don't like the word. I don't believe it exists. Like people ask me, how do you motivate people every day? I said, no one can motivate anybody every weekend, much less every day. If you take the X, Y axis, what you want to do is raise where they cross is the zero level you live at, whether in the morning you get up. You go drink coffee, go to workout. To raise that level, you get up, you do 10 push ups, 20 sit ups twice, go drink coffee. Just keep that as a lifestyle. And you wanna raise your zero level. And it's not anything you can do because you get motivated to do it or you get rewarded for it. You gotta do it because it's best for you and all around you.
0: You had retired. They talked you into coming back. It sounds like you never actually, I don't think great coaches ever retire, actually. I think they're always got their hand a little bit. But I know that you say you're there to help, that you're there to be of service, to make swimmers go faster, use all these great phrases. But I think I really want to challenge you and ask you, if we had your swimmers with us now and we asked them what your legacy was in their lives, what do you think they'd say?
2: I've been real careful never to speak for them because <laughs> all I do is get in trouble. But they, some of the things I've read is that I'm really good at helping them with their life. And I like that because swimming is a short time in their life. You want it to be good. And swimming is one of the greatest teachers on earth are one of the greatest preparers for life in the real world that there is
0: eddie thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your insight today i think the people in the real world are going to experience this and they're going to enjoy it greatly and i wish you all the best for the season ahead but probably more importantly i wish you all the best for getting outside and playing with Bread and Pearl because they are sounding
2: very, very anxious. Pearl is, and usually when my wife gets on the phone or I get on the phone, she just starts barking and she gets a reaction. Thanks, Paul. Great questions. Appreciate the work you put into it to do this interview. If I can ever help you again under way better circumstances, I'll be glad to do that.
0: Perfect circumstances for me, Eddie. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you soon.
1: All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hi, everyone. It's Mike here, and you've been listening to the great coach, Eddie Reese. I hope you got a lot out of Eddie's very human and optimistic style and found a few ideas that you can bring to your own dinner table, locker room, or boardroom table for discussion. When I listened back, the other key highlights for me, in addition to those mentioned in the intro, were... How he tries to say at least two good things every day to his staff. The importance of keeping the mood light immediately before competition. How the great coaches understand physiology and put the athletes need in front of their own. And wanting to leave a legacy of having helped people with their life. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And just before we go, if you have any feedback then please let us know. Just like Russell Hansen, who said after listening to the Gary Kirsten interview, I listened to this interview last night. Highly recommend it. Thanks, Russell. The interaction with people around the world who listen gives us great energy. And so if you have any feedback or comments, then please let us know. And also, if you're interested in helping us create one of the world's leading leadership libraries from the lessons our interview guests share with us, then you can help sponsor us through Patreon. All the details on how to do this or just connect with us are in the show notes or on our website, podcast.com Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.